Hey, podcaster, before we get to this next message and our break free series, I want to invite you to come join us in person for a special service on January 28th. We have guest speaker Jim McComas coming to be with us, and Jim lost his son Matthew to heroin. And ever since, he's been traveling around the nation sharing Matt's story and the hope that he has, uh, the hope that has helped him break the chains of grief and addiction. And he's sharing that message with addicts and the family and friends of addicts and the family and friends of those uh, that have lost someone uh, to addiction. And so we would love for you to come and be with us because we're hoping to have several guests with us that day. We're holding services at 930 and 11 on January 28th instead of our usual one service at 1030. So come join us at 930 or 11 on the 28th and be a part of that very special service as we seek to break the chains of addiction. This past year, I got to go to a conference and I heard two guys speak at this conference. They're both named Mike. And throughout the, the sessions, they kind of talked like they were related. They at least had some type of strong relationship. I thought maybe they were father and son, but they had different last names. And I found out pretty early on uh, in one of the stories the guy told that the younger Mike was the son-in-law to the older Mike. And I just thought, okay, well, he, he probably grew up in older Pastor Mike's church and was, uh, was a believer. Maybe his dad was an associate and he fell in love with Pastor Mike's daughter, but found out later that the way that that younger Mike gotten into ministry and he was planting the church in Ventura, California, the way he got into ministry is that his family had moved a good bit. He'd moved one more time. He started a new school. And when he got on the bus that first day, there was this guy who was, had a seat open next to him. He said, hey, sit next to me. He told that story and he says, that guy, he's right over there. And he pointed at this guy I know who's pastoring a church in Oklahoma. And I asked him about it, and I got to f- find out that there were like four or five guys that all ran in that same circle of friends in elementary, junior high, and high school that they were all now serving in ministry, planning churches. And what I saw in that moment is something I've seen again and again, and I've even experienced myself, is that God will work in a profound way in a group of people to call them into ministry, to call them into missions, to call them to plant and start churches. This is what happened to me. I moved when I was 12 years old from Nashville, Tennessee to Virginia Beach, Virginia. And when I started at that new school, I made friends with some people that I'm friends with to this day. The five that I'm closest to, I share ideas with them. I get resources from them. I ask them for advice on things that we're doing here at our church. I'm probably in contact with them every other day, if not every day. And I'm not friends with these five guys because we're all in ministry. I was friends with them in junior high. But God worked in our lives through that period and ended up calling all of us into ministry. One of those guys pastors in Tennessee, another's a youth minister in North Carolina. Two of them just started a church ago, uh, a while ago in Virginia. The last of those guys left the pastor recently to work at a Bible college. And I have lots of friends, and I'm friends with them because I've met them because they're in ministry and I'm in ministry. But these guys, they were friends of mine since high school. And God worked in them and in me. There's another group of guys who experienced this same thing 2,000 years ago. And last week we learned the story of one of them, Peter. 
We talked about how Peter left his fishing boats behind to follow Jesus, and when he did, his brother and friends came along with him. And Peter would spend the next three years hanging out with Jesus almost nonstop. He would hear all of the sermons that Jesus was going to preach. He would hear all of the stories of people being changed and their lives being saved. He he would see Jesus be carried off. He would see Jesus go through the trial and then be crucified. He would run into the empty tomb where Jesus was no longer at because he had risen from the dead. And he experienced all of those things following Jesus with a group of people. And those guys, in just a few years, ten ordinary men and Peter, their lives would be transformed and they would change the world. In fact, in court, someone accusing them, trying to get them in trouble, said, these are those guys that have turned the world upside down. How did that happen? How did these fishermen become this group that changed the entire world? It's because they were following Jesus with a group of people that was following Jesus. And throughout history, God has used groups of people to produce world-changing disciples. He's done it again and again and again. That younger Mike didn't grow up in church. He hadn't been a professional Christian. He stumbled into a group of guys who loved Jesus, and he followed Jesus too. Kind of like I did, kind of like Peter did, and kind of like I'd love for you to do. I believe that if you get into a group of people who are following after Jesus, that it'll change you, and then you'll be able to make a huge impact on the world. And I think all of this is laid out for us in Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 24 and 25 say this. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling or the meeting of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, verse 24 tells us to consider one another to provoking to love and to good works. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what what the driving force is behind this, but let me just point out that Scripture's just called us to provoke one another. Some of you are really good at provoking others, right? You're really good at provoking people. This is not asking us to provoke people to anger, but to provoke them to good. And our sentence structure here, it kind of sounds like it's saying, let us consider one another enough or think enough of each other that we will provoke one another to good works. But the provoking is tied to the considering. He's telling us to consider one another and consider how we provoke one another. To think about the other people that we have opportunity to have an influence on and think about how we can best provoke them, spur them to do good works. The idea is not just to think so much of one another that we provoke one another, but that we would think about the ways that we provoke one another. For that reason, the New American Standard Bible translates this phrase as, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The English Standard Version translated, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 
The writer is saying, let's take a moment and think about, let's, let's consider what's the best way that we can encourage one another to do the good works that God has called us to do. What's that look like? Let's think about how we can do the very best job in helping one another grow closer in Christ. And then he says, so let's not skip out. Let's not flake out. Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, you're here on a snow day, so you might be tempted right now to be like, yeah, that's right, I didn't flake out on a snow day. I'm here. No, those other people aren't. Now, I encourage everybody, just, hey, if your roads aren't safe, don't come. This isn't saying we should shame one another in attending church. This isn't saying, hey, if somebody misses you, you make them feel guilty about it. No, it's saying, hey, don't miss out on an opportunity Don't miss out on an opportunity to provoke your brothers and sisters to be closer to Christ and make a greater difference in our community. You know what every Sunday morning is? Every Sunday morning is an opportunity that we get to push one another on to do good works, to make a difference. And as as beneficial as this is, we think that it can be even more. We have a time of fellowship in our service, an opportunity for you to say hello to someone, to greet someone, to ask them how they're doing. But those few moments, that, that's not a whole lot of time. We want to see that go further. And so here this passage is saying, let's think about what's the very best way that we can encourage one another to do good works and to love one another and to love Christ. How can we do that? And I can honestly say that in the last 18 months, I have, I have obeyed this verse more and that I have considered how can we best accomplish this. How can we see this happen? As I've made the plea for a new core group that will build the church that our friends and neighbors will come to be a part of and that our children will one day lead, I've known that we need more leaders. We need more volunteers. And the way that's going to happen is through people being provoked to love Christ, to love one another, to love the church, to love our community. So how do we accomplish that? How do we do that? It was just about this time a year ago we were blessed to have Eric come and serve with us in an internship. When Eric came, we, we, we set it up that he was, going to, he was going to be focusing on helping us do some discipleship groups. And during his internship, through those 10 weeks, we read a few books together. One of them in particular pushed me in my thinking and the, the importance that we put on, on groups. And so that was beginning a work in me. I was considering in a new way, how can we best spur one another to love and good works? And then we watched over the course of the next several weeks as God used new groups, new classes to bring new people to walk closely with Christ. We watched as people who gathered together in groups followed more closely after Christ, became stronger in their faith and stronger in their passion to serve our church and reach our community. What we saw happen right before our eyes, what I read about in that book, what we're told about here in Hebrews chapter 10, and what we saw Jesus do with his disciples is this. To break free, we got to run towards Jesus, but we run farthest when we run together. Last week I told you, if we're going to break free, we've got to run to Jesus. He is the only one who can free us from our sin. We've got to run towards him. But what we've seen and what we're encouraged by here in this passage and what we saw in the life of Peter and the rest of the disciples is that we run the farthest when we run in a group. 
There's an old African proverb that says, to go fast, go alone. To go far, go together. And a relationship with Christ will free you from your sin, will save you from the punishment and condemnation that comes from living a life of sin. But then God uses other people to continue working in our lives to help us as we trek towards this greater freedom, greater understanding, greater passion, greater change. Now the reason that we have this challenge here in Hebrews chapter 10 is because the writer's trying to tell us that you can only have salvation in Jesus. So let's be clear, I'm not telling you that if you want to be a Christian, you've got to be in a group. Because what the, the writer is telling us in Hebrews chapter 10 is the way to receive forgiveness of your sins is not to go to the temple so that someone can offer a sacrifice for you. He's making it clear it's only through Jesus. It's only through Him that you can experience forgiveness. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. He's talked about the priest and now he says, Jesus, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He's making a contrast here between Jesus being sacrificed once and for all for all of us and the sacrifices that are made daily in the old Jewish temple. Verse 11 says, Every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God. You know what he's saying? He's saying at the Jewish temple, they offer sacrifice every day. And you go there day after day trying to get your sins atoned for, pay for your sins, pay for the things that you've done wrong. Jesus did one sacrifice, and he was done. He was finished. Jesus offered one sacrifice, and he was finished. He offered the sacrifice for our sins so that we can be forgiven. And those priests can offer sacrifices every day and forgive no one. So he's saying, you don't need somebody else. To be forgiven. He's saying you don't need a priest for your sins to be forgiven. And the message to you today is that you don't need Pastor Daniel to be forgiven of your sins. I can't forgive you of your sins. Even if I wanted to, I can't do that. You don't need me. Jesus forgives you of your sin. So he's making this strong contrast. He's saying Jesus is the, is the one who forgives us of sin. We do not need a priest. He says, but let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because through it, we are provoked to love and good works. What he's saying is, I can't can't save you from your sin. And I can't get you to heaven. But what I can do and what I'm called to do, what you can do and what you're called to do, is help one another walk further with Christ. That's what we're called to do. I can't forgive you of your sins but I can encourage you to keep walking with Jesus, to walk closely with Him. And this is so important because what we find is that believers who do not establish strong relationships with other believers fail to thrive. God does all of this work in our lives, but He most often does it through others. After all, this is is how God wired us. You and I are wired for relationships and connections. What's the first thing that we want when we come out of the womb? Mom, right? We we want to be held. We cry for it all the time. There's probably some babies down in the nursery right now that they they don't want anybody but mom. Mom, doesn't that make you feel good? Right? So 
Some of you are like, no, I've been snowed in with them for three days. No, thank you. But as soon as we come out of the room, that's what we want. We want our skin to be pressed up against the skin of, of our mother. We want to be held by our parents. We want to be loved and doted on, and then we get kind of spoiled by it, and we want it all the time. Do you know that a baby, baby in, in an orphanage can have all the food it needs and all of the medical care that it needs and have its diaper changed and have a soft bed to lay in and have plenty of toys in its crib? But if no one holds that child and loves on that child and dotes on that child, that child will develop what is called a failure to thrive. And it'll become sickly, become critical, can even pass away. Has everything biologically that it needs. Has everything chemically that it needs. Has milk, has calories to burn, has medicine that keeps it from getting sick. But that child needs a connection with another human being. And friend, the believer, God did not design us to do this Christian life alone. He did not design us to do our Christian walk by ourselves. I, I can remember watching NASCAR with my dad when I was a kid. My dad liked NASCAR. It was never really that interesting, but I watched it a lot with my dad. You know what I noticed as a kid? I noticed that every post-race interview is exactly the same, right? Because they're always going to thank who? Their sponsors. They're going to thank all of those people that are listed on their uniform, their Bernsey. What's it called? Their, I'm just showing I don't know anything about NASCAR. They're going to thank their sponsors. They're going to thank their crew chief. They're going to thank their pit crew. They're going to thank their fans, Right? They've been out there driving a car by themselves. But the only way they're able to do that is because a sponsor gave them the money to buy that car, buy those tires. The only way they're able to accomplish this is there's a spotter up in the top telling them which way to go. There's a crew chief and a, a pit crew that's there to change their tires and put gas. You think, well, there's nothing more individual than a race. No, even that race, the first thing he says is, thank you. You watch the Olympics. And somebody competes in some individual competition, first thing they're going to do, if they have some, some self-awareness, is they're going to thank the people that coached them and the people that supported them. None of us have ever accomplished anything great on our own. No one ever accomplishes anything great alone. It's through the encouragement, support of others. If we're going to continue to walk in this Christian life, we're going to see the great benefit, the great necessity, even, of the relationships with other believers. Henry Cloud wrote a book on the, the power of the other. And he talks about the profound impact that other people have on us, getting us to go further than we ever thought possible, than we ever could have gone on our own. And he told the story of his brother-in-law, Mark, his sister married a Navy SEAL. And if you're not familiar with Navy SEALs, they are the best of the best when it comes to elite special forces. Nobody gets into the Navy SEALs because their dad was a Navy SEAL. Nobody gets into the Navy SEALs because their granddad is an admiral. It's merit-based. You've got to accomplish incredible, difficult, hard tasks. 
When you go into the, the, the training, if, you're, if you don't wash out, it's because you have accomplished drills and, and exercises and feats of great emotional and physical and mental toughness. Henry Cloud's brother-in-law, Mark, served with the SEALs for several years, and then he lost his life in service in Iraq. And several of his buddies were Navy SEALs came to the funeral. And Henry Cloud got to meet them and hear stories about his brother-in-law, Mark. One of the stories that a SEAL told is he said that he and Mark had gone through SEAL training together. And on the final day of their training, they had to swim this incredibly long distance when they were very tired. The water was freezing cold. And this guy had swum so far, he was 95% of the way there. He just had a little bit further to go. He could see the rocks where he had to stop. And he had that experience where your body just says, no more. I can't do anymore. If you've ever worked all day and then you just try to like go do a simple task like pick up a cup and your, your body's like, nope. Or you've been hammering all day and then you go to pick up the hammer one more time and your body says, no. And you know that in your body you have the strength to do it, but your body's just saying, no more, I'm done. And he could see the rocks that he had to swim to. He's in water that if he doesn't keep swimming, he's going to drown, but he just can't go any further. He tries to tread water for a few seconds but even that isn't working, and he starts to go under. But he says, Mark had already finished, and he was standing on the rocks. And he said, Mark threw his fist in the air and said, you got this. And in that moment, he summoned strength that he hadn't had before. In that moment, he had strength that his own survival, his, his own logic of I'm this close hadn't provided. It was someone else giving him a word of encouragement pushed him further than was possible just a moment before. And when we have relationships with other believers who challenge us and encourage us and push us, we go further than we ever thought possible. I want you to imagine getting to a place where you can smell cigarettes and your mouth doesn't water for one. I want you to imagine getting to a place where you experience frustration or stress because of a difficult person or situation and you don't think about getting a drink. I want you to imagine a situation where you get to the place where you don't worry if there's going to be cheesecake at the party because even if there is, you can say, no thanks, I'm good, I'm eating healthy. Imagine getting to the place where you don't have to bite your tongue to keep from saying something cruel or hurtful to someone who frustrates you. Imagine instead finding yourself naturally speaking words of encouragement to difficult people. Imagine getting to the place where you don't have to cut your credit cards in half to keep from spending money you don't have. But instead... You have money set aside to be generous with and help those that are in need. And perhaps one of those scenarios, or all of them, or a few of them, sound almost impossible to you. Can't imagine ever getting there. 
And that's where you add, I, I just like to stand on the rocks and say, got this. Let's follow hard after Christ together. He will take you to places that right now seem impossible. That right now you, you know that in your strength you cannot do, that you cannot accomplish. If we'll run after Christ together, you'll go further than you ever thought was possible. I've got three magnets on the back of my truck, each signifying a distance that I have run. It's a good thing they're magnets and not stickers because they would have faded a long time ago if they were stickers because it's been a while since I ran those distances. I got a half marathon of 13.1 miles, a Tough mutter of 10 miles and 20 obstacles, and a marathon of 26.2 miles. In every one of those races, I had to take each step. But in every one of those races, I went further and faster than I thought I could have because I wasn't running alone. I was running with a group. I was running with a group of friends. When I ran that marathon five years ago, there were four other people here in our church that were running a marathon that same year. Now, a marathon is something that only 1% of Americans accomplished, but in our congregation, it was about 80 people at the time. We had four people. And every Sunday, you know what the conversation was? How many miles did you do yesterday? And I ran further than I ever thought possible because I was being pushed and prompted. I was being provoked by a group of friends. So this morning, whether it's quitting smoking or getting sober or fixing your emotions or stopping the gossip or stopping the spending or whatever calling that seems too far off, I want, I want you to see that the path to growth is to run towards Jesus and to run with others. The path to growth leads to Jesus and it's wide enough for us to run together. In fact, that's what we're called to do, to run there together. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Maybe that this morning God's speaking to you. He's calling out to you about some, some sin in your life. He's calling, to, calling out to you about some step that you need to take. And it seems so far off. It seems so out of the realm of possibility to you right now. I just want to encourage you to trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus that he can get you there. And then let us come alongside of you. I'm going to say a word of prayer, and after I've said my prayer, I, I want you to come forward to the front here so that you can just have a moment to pray and put your faith in Christ and ask for His help and deliverance. And I'd like to pray along with you. Let you know that we're going to be here with you, walking, running on the path towards growth. Father.